Good morning. Um, this morning, I'll be reading our sermon passage. So if you would, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 13. If, you use, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, uh, you can find the text on page 948. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Gillum. Uh, my wife and I, Emily, uh, have been members here at Joy for about three years now. Um, we love being part of this body. Uh, it's been a great um, privilege uh, to be here. We have a almost two-year-old Esther and a six-week-old Samuel. So Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Hear God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's word. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, it is so good uh, to have your word. Um, we just pray that this morning you would um, melt our hearts by the preaching of your word. Uh, would you cause your word to be effectual? Um, Lord, I pray for Larry as he would come. Would you give him boldness, Lord? Would you give him uh, confidence, Lord, that you are with him? Um, we pray that uh, you would use your word, Lord, to accomplish uh, your work. Um, would you stir us up, O oh Lord, through your word? Uh, would you cause life to spring forth? Uh, for those who don't know you, would your gospel go forth with power? Um, and with conviction, and bring assurance, Lord, uh, through your word. Uh, we thank you for um, all that you are. Uh, may you have all authority, dominion, and power, and glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everyone. How are you all? It's good to be with you. It's good to worship the Lord with you. Uh, question for you. As we get started looking at the scriptures, how are you feeling about the government today? How are you feeling about the government today? How would you feel if I were to tell you that the main point of this sermon that you're about to hear is that it is your duty, your calling, you who have surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, it is your calling in allegiance to that Lord Jesus Christ to submit yourself to those governing authorities 
regardless of how you happen to feel about them today? How would you feel about that? Well, we're going to see, because that's about what's going to happen right now. Uh, we're doing that because we began last week a short five-week series of sermons in which we are studying the subject of authority. Uh, what I, I said last Sunday was a good gift, a neglected gift, a misunderstood gift, and uh, at times even a dangerous gift, not because God the giver himself is dangerous in any way, but because this gift is prone to be abused by sinful people. It is at times a dangerous gift, but it is a good gift of God. And last week, from 2 Samuel 23, in those famous last words of King David, we saw that good authority is a great blessing. That's a foundational truth that I think undergirds everything I have to say from the other passages of Scripture that we're going to be looking at in this series. Good authority is a great blessing. This morning and in the weeks to come in this series, we want to apply that foundational conviction to three primary institutions which God has ordained for the flourishing of humanity, the state, the home, and the church. And as I trust you have figured out by now, this morning we are considering that role of the state, civil authority. And taking up this subject uh, presents what one author has described as a dizzying array of implications and application. When we come to think about this subject, when we come to open up Romans 13, we are thinking about matters pertaining to war and peace dictators and totalitarianism, concentration camps, revolts, revolutions, laws and law enforcement, political activism and civil disobedience, elections and lobbying, uh, voting and paying taxes, Supreme Court justices, speed limits and seat belts, stop signs and baby seats. I could go on. There are a lot of implications. Before we dive into the text, though, uh, let's just make sure that we can locate and place this teaching of the Apostle Paul in its proper context in the book of Romans. We've not been studying the letter to the Romans. I at least want to make sure as we jump in towards the end of this letter that we know where this paragraph fits into the teaching of Paul's letter to the Romans. He, he wrote, we're not exactly sure the circumstances of why Paul wrote, but many believe that there were tensions between Jewish and Gentile Christians that Paul was writing to alleviate and, see, and, and call them to harmoniously, Jew and Gentile, with one voice, glorify God. And, and so perhaps to alleviate these tensions between uh, Jewish and Gentile uh, Christians in Rome, Paul expounded on the gospel at great length. That is a very instructive lesson. When there's problems in the church, when there's problems in your own life, what is the most important thing we can do? It is to think long and hard about the gospel. 
And that's what Paul does in Romans. For really 11 chapters, he rejoices in the good news of what God has done for sinners, all sinners, Jew and Gentile, who would despair of their own efforts to keep God's law and would, would receive Christ's gracious gift because Jesus lived a sinlessly perfect life. He died on the cross for the sins of all of his people. Those who have failed to keep God's law can find mercy, can find a righteous standing with God and adoption into his family by grace alone, simply through receiving Christ and all that he is. And he exults in that truth and he expounds upon that truth, as I said, for 11 chapters. And at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, if your Bible's still open, you could see this. Uh, if you just turn maybe back a page or maybe it's right there on the same page. At the beginning of chapter 12, Paul goes on, having rejoiced in that good gospel truth, Paul says on the basis of those saving mercies, he now begins to spell out for the Christians at Rome the implications of their new life in Christ. He, he spells out in detail what does it look like to present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice in all of life. Perhaps the Christians at Rome were wondering, since since being bound to Christ is, is tied to that wonderful confession in Romans chapter 10 that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know those, those famous words in Romans 10. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Since that is our confession, what does that mean for how do, how do we relate then to other earthly authorities? Caesar says he's Lord. We now have come to believe he is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. What then do we do with Caesar's authority? Are we free to insult, to slander, to mock, or just simply to ignore those authorities that we don't like or that we don't agree with since we've got a new king, the Lord Jesus? And so Paul takes up this subject at the beginning of Romans 13. Uh, I'll put the main idea of this passage, as I understand it to you, in the form of a command, since it comes from Paul to the Romans in the form of a command. I think we could summarize the main idea of this paragraph in these words. Submit to governing authorities because of your submission to God who rules over every earthly power. Submit, that's the main point of this sermon. I think it's the main point of Romans 13, 1 to 7. Submit to governing authorities because of your submission to God who rules over every earthly power. So to help us think about that idea, what I want to do this morning is I want to just walk through these verses. Kyle read them. We're going to read them again, and I'm going to pause at some different points to just make some commentary and explanation so that you can see what Paul is teaching here with your own eyes. And then I want to pose what I think is a, really an inescapable, unavoidable question that arises from the instruction of this passage. And then I want to do my best to enter into the Apostle Paul's mind and answer that question as I think he might answer it. So, look again at the Bible. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
I think every person here does mean every person, uh, regardless of their faith relationship to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But since Paul is writing this letter, we know at the beginning of, of the letter, we're told it's to the saints who are in Rome, because this section of the letter, as I just mentioned a moment ago, is working out the various ways in which we believers present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice in view of his mercies. I think this is especially our calling as Christians. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. To be subject is to submit, to willingly place yourself under the authority of another. And the very call to submit does imply or assume some measure of disagreement with the one who is in authority. So kids, uh, kids, if you receive a commandment from a parent later today, take another scoop of ice cream. Your obedience to that commandment would not be called submission. That's a pretty good deal. I'd be happy to have another scoop of ice cream. But if your parent says later on, it's time to clean up and put your stuff away because it's bedtime. Now we're talking about submission because you don't really want to go to bed. You want to keep playing. Submission involves some measure of disagreement with the one who is in authority. And so the call here is to be subject to governing authorities, to willingly place yourself under those authorities. Now, why would we do that? And which ones? Even the bad ones? Well, Paul continues in verse one. For, he gives a reason. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. That's an answer, I think, to the why question you might have. Why submit to the governing authorities and which ones? We submit to all of them because there is no authority which exists apart from God. That's true of bad authorities. Pharaoh was a bad authority. Exodus, you know the Exodus story. He was a bad ruler. Exodus 9.16 says, God says, I raised him up for a particular purpose, which was to show my power in judging him. But God raised up evil Pharaoh. We're told that as well of wicked Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah 27. Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan man, not a worshiper of the true God, is called my servant by the Lord. Jeremiah 27, verse 5. Pontius Pilate was a wicked ruler. Jesus himself told Pilate, you would not have any authority over me unless it was given to you by my father. Every governing authority exists by his institution, by his governance. Daniel 2, 21 says this broadly. He, the Lord, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Every king, every queen, every prince, 
and president, every governor and judge, every mayor and senator and congressman or congresswoman or police officer or school board member or town council has been instituted by God. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That does not mean that God approves of the heart or the morality or the policy decisions of every one of those authorities, but it does mean something, and what it does mean is mentioned in verse 2. I love it when your eyes go down and you look at the text. That is so encouraging. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. To resist here is the opposite of being subject to. It means to oppose or to stand against. The one who opposes or stands against or resists the governing authorities is guilty actually of resisting God since it is God who has appointed every one of those rulers. And as a result, those who resist will incur judgment, Paul says. The nature of that judgment is explained in verse 3. Back to the text. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. There's an awful lot I'd like to say about those two verses. In the interest of time, let me say this. It does seem like the judgment in view at the end of verse two has to do not with like eternal punishment in the lake of fire, but the judgment which civil authorities bring on wrongdoers. That's what Paul says then in verses three and four. That's the judgment I believe that is in view here. Fines, incarceration, even the death penalty in certain cases. It does seem to me that verse four here, being God's servant, if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain is a reference to what Gail read earlier and what Jason uh, mentioned and prayed about earlier from Genesis 9, the establishment of structure of authority to protect human well-being and uh, provide safe environment for humans to flourish. It does seem to me that that is what Paul has in view, that teaching of Genesis chapter 9 when he says what he says here in verses 3 and 4. This fear of punishment is a God-given restraining force against evil. That's part of why Paul calls the governing authorities servants of God. It's a God-given way that he restrains evil, for which we all in this room, no matter how much we may lament and or be frustrated with the governing authorities in our nation or state or community, we ought really to give thanks for the fact that we have a government in place that does restrain much evil. 
Do you have any comprehension of how horrible our lives would be? Of what a tsunami of evil would just be befalling us, crashing upon us unrelentingly if there were no civil authorities at all? If there was no threat of the sword against those who would do harm to other citizens, if there was no 911 to call, no police officers working to promote justice, no National Guard, no prisons, only might makes right if that was the law of the land without any checks and balances, it would be anarchy. And praise God for all that is broken and wrong in our government that we do not live in a state of anarchy. There is much good in our government to give thanks for. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection. I think that's just a restatement of the command there in verse 1. He's given a command. He's given some reasons why we should obey the command. Now he restates the command. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. In other words, we Christians should submit to the governing authorities not just because we fear getting punished for lawbreaking, but because our consciences are convicted of the God-given, God-ordained function of governing authorities so that we sense in our own consciences that subjection to the authorities that God has put in place is part of our submission to Christ's lordship. So if, if you're told that um, we need a, a permit or we, there's a certain kind of, you can't just set up a fire pit in your backyard. You need, you need permission or it's got to be a certain kind. We don't just say and reason in our minds, well, you know, I'm not going to be punished for that. And then we just do it anyway. Our consciences are convicted that the laws that are established are a reflection of God's will for our lives. And we obey, not just because we're afraid of being caught and punished, but because our consciences are captive to be doers of God's will. Verse six, for because of this, I think this, I'm not entirely sure about this, I think this refers to the whole teaching so far. This teaching on the God-ordained ministry, even it's called here, of civil servants, of civil authorities. Because of this, you also pay taxes. Wow. <laughs> Paying taxes is a way that we show this submission. Did you ever think about your preparation of your income tax returns? Welcome to that season. Have you ever thought about it as an expression of your worship to the Lord? It is, if we understand God's word rightly. Therefore, you pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Again, this, this very thing, I'm not exactly sure what this very thing is referring to. I think it refers to the authorities serving God in this function of promoting good and restraining evil. That's what they're there for. You should pay them. You should support them in that work, and you do so with your taxes. Pay to all Verse 7, what is owed to them? Taxes to whom taxes are owed. 
Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Those two words uh, from my, uh, not because I know this, but just because I read a commentary from really smart people who know about these words. Different kinds of taxes. One referring more to like property taxes that would have been for non-Roman citizens. But then that second word revenue, what we would call today maybe like sales taxes, tolls when you go over that bridge and pay what seems to be an astronomical amount just to cross a bridge. Uh, That kind of thing. Pay to all what is owed. Uh, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. But not just about money. This, respect, this submission is not just about our finances. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's the teaching. Submit to governing authorities because of your submission to God who rules over every earthly power. We offer this submission, we offer this respect and honor, not because the individual in authority is always acting in a way that warrants that response from us, but as an act of obedience and submission to the God who has placed that individual into the position of his or her authority. I just think that's a helpful thing for you to remember in 2024 because it's going to get ugly. Trump. Where's, where's Gail? I just said the word Trump in the sermon. Biden. Oh, it's just going to get ugly. It's going to get real ugly. And as Christians, we're not called to join in the ugliness. The malicious and hateful talk. We can call out, we should call out, we should righteously call out evil policy, ungodly legislation. There's a way to do that with grace and with humility and with love and with respect. So let's just be thinking and praying about that in 2024. That's the teaching. And it does, I believe, raise a question that I said is inescapable and unavoidable. Some of you have been thinking about it the entire time I've been talking. We read this passage last night uh, around the dinner table, and it was the question that immediately, readily was being discussed. And the question goes something like this. Okay, I see that is what, I see that paragraph. I think you did, that's what it says. But Larry, surely you, you've got to nuance this. You've got to clarify some things because what, what about when authority actually is a, a, a terror to bad conduct and a, what, what, what about when, a, sorry, I just, I, re, I misworded that. What about when authority, instead of being a terror to bad conduct and a rewarder of good conduct, actually becomes the opposite? What about when the authorities are a terror to good conduct and a rewarder of bad conduct? You've said that good authority is a great blessing, and I'm happy to affirm that. But what about when you're under bad authority? What about when the the governor of the state of Oregon signs into legislation the Menstrual Dignity Act which requires Oregon high schools to place tampon dispensers in the men's bathrooms because every menstruating person should have the right to a tampon. 
Is that a great blessing? We're just supposed to submit to that? What are you saying when, when doing good is what brings the sword of civil justice and doing evil is actually celebrated and rewarded? What do you do when the civil authorities call evil good and good evil? Doesn't Isaiah say something? He does, for the record. In chapter 5, verse 20. Doesn't he say, woe to those who call evil good and good evil? And it seems like I'm hearing you say, not woe, but submit to those who call evil good and good evil. Well, that's more than a question, I guess. That's a few questions. And they're good questions. But your questions really aren't for me so much, are they? They're for the Apostle Paul. Because he's the one who taught what I just said, I think. To the degree that I've taught something other than what he said, you shouldn't be listening to me anyway. But this is what he said. And he didn't, he didn't qualify it all up for us. So, I thought at this point, knowing about this inescapable question, what might I say now? And what I just tried to do, it's a little bit weird. I hope it goes well. I hope it's faithful. Test all things by scripture. But I just tried to put myself in Paul's mind. I love the Apostle Paul. I love Jesus more. But for 23 years, no one has been a better friend to me in God's word than the Apostle Paul. I love this man. And I just tried to think, what would Paul say to those questions? And what follows, I'm going to enter his mind. I'm going to start talking to you now, and I'm going to play the part of the Apostle Paul as I think he might be addressing this question. Take that for what it's worth, but I want to give you some biblically grounded reflections on what I think Paul might say in response to the question that you have about why, why there's no clarifications, why the exceptions aren't addressed, what do you really mean Hi, I'm Paul. I understand you have questions and I appreciate them. Please know that there is purpose behind what I write and why I write what I write always because I don't write my own will. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a happy bondservant of his because I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I could have made some qualifications and caveats to help you have a better feel for my instruction. You probably remember as well as I do that the Egyptian midwives back in the book of Exodus, they defied the edict of Pharaoh when that wicked ruler wanted all the Israelite babies slaughtered. You probably remember as well that Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused. They resisted the civil authorities when Nebuchadnezzar had commanded that everybody bow down before his idolatrous statue. You may remember as well how my fellow apostles when I was still breathing down murderous threats and hating the church and set against the church and desiring to kill them all, my fellow apostles, when they were commanded to stop preaching the gospel, they refused to stop preaching. And our brother Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. 
I know, I know about those situations. I knew about those situations when I wrote what I wrote to the Romans. I want you to know also that I'm well aware that there are bad authorities. I know that our Lord Jesus himself was condemned under a very evil governing authority. And you know that I myself have a little experience with being terrorized by some evil authorities for doing good. You remember, right, how when I helped to start the church in Philippi and I, I did a good deed for a, a young servant girl who was being abused and taken advantage of for shameful gain and I cast an evil spirit out of her and in return for that good thing, I was dragged into the city square and I was stripped naked and the governing authorities jumped in and they beat me with rods, a Roman citizen, and they locked me up and fastened my feet to the stocks. Now you do remember that our all wise God did use that for good because if it wasn't for that, that jailer and his household would not have been saved. Remember that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You may also remember there in Philippi that I did not hesitate after that night in jail to invoke the rights of my citizenship in order to see the church of Philippi protected. You might remember how when they came the next day realizing that they had treated me wrongly and wanted to just secretly get rid of me, I called them to account for their evil and I said, no, you, you condemned me and beat me publicly, come and release me publicly. I took advantage of my citizens' rights and I welcome you to do the same in your context, whether it's through voting, whether it's through courts, or whether it's through peaceable, lawful assembly. I welcome you to use the rights that you have and the stewardships that you have available to you to turn evil governments toward good. But I didn't give you all the caveats and qualifications when I wrote to the Romans, and here's why. You do, rem okay. you do remember that when I say here's why, I'm not Paul. I don't really know for sure why I'm trying to think with Paul. Here's why. I, I, I did say to you earlier, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm his bondservant. And according to the grace of God given to me, I make it my apostolic aim to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. It is my aim and ambition to see that obedience to God that springs forth from our faith in him as our rescuer and our redeemer. And as I spend myself and as I am spent for that great aim, as I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me to present every one of my father's children mature in Christ, as I labor to that end, as, as I assess the forces in us and around us that might oppose that labor of mine for your sake coming to fruition, I perceive that proud resistance to authority, that haughtiness 
and disdain and cynical scorn for authorities that God has established rather than a rightful, God-fearing, Christ-trusting, Christ-worshipping respect for authority that that poses a more significant threat to your souls than any bad government possibly could. I perceive as I seek to discern the mind of Christ that humility and self-denial are vastly more important for the bondservant of Christ than being treated well by the government. I say this because bad authorities can in fact do a lot of harm, but they cannot send a single soul to hell. But pride can, and pride does. And our Lord never promised being loved and welcomed and treated fairly by the civil authorities as a right that we should expect. He promised us actually the opposite. Our blessed Lord said if they treated him, the master of the house, like the devil, how much more will they malign us who are of his household? He's the one who said in the world you'll have tribulation. Maybe even at the hands of governing authorities. The main issue, beloved, is not being treated justly in this world by civil authorities. The main issue is trusting in Christ, being humble, denying ourselves and submitting to him, even when for his sake we are being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So no, I, I don't clarify and caveat everything. I call you in Jesus' name and for his glory to submit to governing authorities out of your submission to him. That's how he himself walked when he came to rescue us from the filth and misery of our sin. Oh, how I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am eager to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Can we look to him yet again? Can you see him betrayed and arrested standing before that wicked, spineless, justice-denying governor Pontius Pilate, Jesus our Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, standing before this enemy of God's people, touting his own authority over Jesus. Jesus, the one by whom and for whom all things exist the one who upholds the universe in whom all things hold together. And this man, Pilate, saying to our Lord Jesus, you know I have authority, I can put you to death. And are you seeing Jesus, who could have just puffed on him with the breath of his lips and reduced that wicked ruler to a pillar of salt? But what did he do? He did remind Pilate very calmly and very respectfully that he actually would not have any authority at all if God, the true Lord, had not given it to him. But he did not retaliate. 
He did not fight for his rights. He humbled himself and he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. He submitted to all the evil force that the civil authorities could throw at him. He submitted to being stripped and to being crowned with a crown of thorns and to being mocked and to being reviled and to being spit upon and flogged and crucified. He, the Lord Jesus, the, the truly righteous one, the only one who ever always did good, submitted to it all. And he did this, wonder of wonders, he did this for you. He did this for me because he loved you, because he loved me, because he loved us. He came meek and mild, gentle and lowly to suffer, to be treated like a vile, condemned criminal bearing in his own body the just judgment of God for our stubborn refusal to submit to his authority. You know that's the reason why you have the big but question, what about this and all the exceptions? You know you have that question because the whole reason why government exists and why there's bad governments is because our first parents rebelled against his perfectly good authority and we've all joined them in that rebellion. And if you happen to be in this church gathering and you've never come to the Lord Jesus, oh, I appeal to you to see yourself there in that picture. Acknowledge today that you yourself have scorned God's authority and you deserve his punishment. But my Lord Jesus came and he submitted himself to bad authority to save you from the punishment that you deserve if you would receive him by faith today. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed so that we in Christ, trusting in Christ, could have rest and could have peace and could have forgiveness and could have life, eternal life, abundant life. Does it sound weak to you to submit to governing authorities, even when those authorities are bad. Does that sound weak? Does it sound compromising? Well, praise God, our Lord Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. Did I mention God raised him from the dead? And now, being justified by his grace, the grace of the risen Christ, knowing peace with God, enjoying the freedom of no condemnation before the throne of heaven. We now, as a sacrifice of gratitude and praise to him, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. It's our spiritual worship, being dead to sin and alive to God, animated by the hope that the sufferings of this present time, even those sufferings endured by unjust civil authorities, that they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed on that day when our faith becomes sight and all things are made new and a new heavens and a new earth appears in which righteousness dwells. And while we wait for that, we endure and we submit. 
Yes, there are times when you may feel conscious bound to resist the governing authorities. God will give you wisdom when you take those steps. But I wrote as I did so that you would not be inordinately fixated on those exceptions, but that you might be fixated on magnifying the glorious riches of our sovereign and submissive Savior in a life of humble submission to authority. And seeing as he pronounced blessing, not on those who fight for their rights and win some, but on the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who are meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers and those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Since he pronounced a blessing on those, let us be found pursuing those and not as concerned about our rights, but more about the fruits of the Spirit that he might graciously work in us through the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and when it's hard, and understand, I, I know it's hard. I've endured sleepless nights singing hymns while having my feet fastened to stocks, remember. When it's hard, and when you grow weary and faint-hearted, remember the day that our gentle and lowly Savior will come again with strength and power. Remember what my brother Apostle John wrote at the end of his revelation. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes this, this is the one who came gentle and lowly to save you from judgment. He's coming again. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of his wrath, of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, all of you who are concerned for justice, hear this. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured 
and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That is not weak. That is not weak. And he said, that one said, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. Be found ready. Be found waiting. We serve and we submit to that one. And it is he who commands and enables our willing submission to earthly rulers and authorities, even the bad ones, as we wait for him. That's the end of Paul. That's my best effort at why I think Paul doesn't footnote and clarify and qualify his instructions here. So Christians, I encourage you, take a good, long, continuous, wonderful, awestruck gaze at our loving Lord Jesus. Let us survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And then, with his help, by his grace, yet not I, but through Christ in me, let us submit to the governing authorities because of our submission to God who rules over every earthly power. Love you, dear saints. Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace and blessing to shine your light in a very dark and crooked and twisted world, full of evil, full of ungodly authority, full of increasing folly and disdain for your good commandments. May we use the privileges and stewardships that you've made available to us in this country to advocate for good laws, for justice, for the government doing what it ought to do. Would you help us to grow by your grace and by your spirit in being poor in spirit and mourn and to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker, to be willing even to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Would you work in us what's pleasing in your sight that we might honor and magnify Jesus, gentle and lowly, humble and submissive for our sins, for our salvation, yet coming again with almighty power to reign and bring the justice that we all long for. While we wait, help us to wait with hope and help us to wait with humility. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.